As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. At the end of the day, it's not about what you have or even what you've accomplished. It's about what you've done with those accomplishments. It's about who you've lifted up, who you've made better. It's about what you've given back. Denzel Washington. Welcome to Inspire Vision. Our sole purpose is to elevate the lives of others and to inspire you to do the same. Hey folks, Dr. Doug here. Thanks for joining us on The Dr. Doug Show. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things that I found is that as I've put out, um, you know, feelers for people to be on the show, I have been overwhelmed with people who want to share their experiences and how they are helping people with abuse. And it just amazes me how that has become maybe more of a pandemic than the COVID-19 uh, situation. And so I'm really pleased to have Sally Griffiths on the on the show with us today. She's a trauma and abuse counselor and therapist, which is fantastic. She's written some books. She's an international speaker. Uh, Sally, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being on the show. You know, as I was mentioning, uh, it, it's amazing to me how many people have contacted me and wanted to talk about how they are helping people who have experienced some type of abuse in their lives and and it you know one of the one of the things that i was looking at one in three women are abused uh, you know in their childhood uh, i'm understanding that that's probably even more than that and and it seems to be something that finally people are starting to talk about, and maybe more importantly, not only talking about it, but those that have experienced it in one way or the other are actually coming forth and doing something about it by helping other people. And And you seem to fit in that category very well. I, yeah, I'd like to think that that's, that's what I do. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your story. Would, would you share with the audience your story and uh, kind of help us to understand what brought you to this point in time? Because I know you've had businesses and other things that you've done. So share with the audience your story a bit. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the short version or we'll, we'll be here all night. Okay. Um, but it's, 
when we talk about abuse, it's important that we remember that there are there are different kinds. Um, the figure that you mentioned, one in three, um, tends to focus on sexual abuse. But also there, aside from that, there's physical abuse and emotional abuse. And emotional abuse tends to be the real hidden abuse that no one talks about at all because you can't you can't see it. You know, where sexual abuse tends to take um, is is directed at children because they're vulnerable and they're powerless. Um, but again, I mean, we all know about the um, the adult uh, sex trade that that goes on um, as yes. well. So, um, but emotional abuse is 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 huge because we we just can't see it, and people feel that they they can't tell people what's going on because they have nothing to show. If you have bruises, that's bad enough. You can tell someone. But how do you tell someone that you're being emotionally abused and the effect that that is having on you? And that's actually what happened to me and the, and the abuse that I suffered as a child. I have to it wasn't in my home. Um, and we, this is what we have to remember as well. Does all abuse doesn't take place in the home. My abuse actually happened at school um, where I was I was bullied for, simply for being poor. Uh-huh. Now, you have to remember I'm talking about being in the UK, in Britain, in the early 1970s. So we were of the sticks and stones may break my bones era. Uh, no one at school had anti-bullying policies and no one thought this was a terrible thing. Um, but I I was mercilessly picked on for being poor. Everything about me was wrong, was not good enough. Um, and there was no escape. You're at school with a group of children in a classroom, sitting at a table. You, you, as, as a child, you're vulnerable, you're powerless, you have no choice. You know, yes. you, you cannot change a situation which is one of the things that makes childhood abuse um, such a betrayal uh, because children uh, are reliant on the people around them to care for them. Um, But what this constant abuse did, um, it totally eroded my sense of self. I, I understood from what was said to me and from the way that I was treated that who I was and how I was just wasn't good enough. Um, And, Obviously, what it did, it eroded all of my self-confidence, my self-esteem, and just any belief that I had in myself. Um, and then over the years, of course, you, I adopted this as my, the description I use now is a childhood blueprint, but it sets up these really deep neural pathways, these thought processes um, that then start to run your life. And they don't just run your life as a child, they they pervade into your adult life because they are literally your blueprint. They're how you see yourself. So I moved into my teenage years and into and then into my adult life um, with no foundation of self, no belief in myself, no self-confidence. Um, I developed extreme social anxiety and just this certainty. It's the underlying uncertainty that who I was was not good enough. So I had them better be who people want and need me to be to survive, to to be connected, to be Mm -hmm. a part of anything. And it is it 
totally destroyed who I was. Um, and this went on until the age of 45. So at the age of 45, um, because what had happened as well, because of my no sense of self, uh, my inability to have boundaries um, and to really just know my own value and worth, um, as so many people do, I repeated a pattern and I ended up um, in an emotionally abusive ma marriage with, with a narcissist. Um, I understand that there are, there are far worse versions of a narcissist than I was with, but it, it, it was enough. You know, it was enough to tell me that I wasn't important. My happiness didn't matter. Um, my my needs were irrelevant. Um, and it it built on and, and simply confirmed what I thought I already knew about myself. So at the age of 45, um, I nearly committed suicide. Uh, something in particular happened that led up to that, that just led me to a point of total despair as in there is no way out, this can't improve, um, I, I can't change my life, there's nothing I can do about this, therefore it's not worth living. And I totally understand when people get to the point of suicide, that is where they get to. It is the point of no hope. Because if you have hope, you will always carry on. When you have no hope is when you feel you really just are going to end it because you cannot carry on. So that's where I got to. Um, but what actually happened was that it, it was a split second. It was a split second decision uh, where I was actually in, in, in the process of carrying this out, having, having left a suicide note and everything. So I was very definite about what I was going to do. Um, I, I had this epiphany, really, this aha moment that if I did this, my boys, who were then 14, had 14-year-old 14 twins, would never recover. And, and it stopped me. I don't know why I hadn't considered it before. All I'd got to, to that point was that everyone around me would be better off without me. And wow. something came in and just overrode that feeling. And I realized that my boys would never recover and my boys were not better off without me. And it led to these, it, it, in the moment, it was a thought process of, you're not that person. You've never been that person. And now you are going to sort this out. You are going to fix this. I didn't know how, I did, had no idea what, nothing. Just this clear directive that my job was to sort myself out. And that's what I've spent the last 10 years doing. <laughs> and, that's where it all... Yeah, and in, in the process of sorting that out, and we're going to talk about that because that's obviously what we want the audience to hear. In the process yeah. of that, you now are doing this uh, as a major contribution back to those that have yeah. experienced similar things. Oh, and I love, I love where I've got to. Now, number one, I'm completely different as a person. I have absolute, you know, rock solid self-confidence and faith and belief in myself. Um, and I set incredibly high um, boundaries for myself. I just, I'm, I'm a completely different person. I just don't recognize who I used to be. 
um, and, which is good because it, it's good to say where I started because then people can see what's possible. It's it's not like, oh, maybe she wasn't too bad, so she's been able to do this. No, I was here and, and now I'm here and, and you can do this too. You know, so yes, where I've got to is now I'm fully trained, qualified, and I use my qualifications and my professional experience and learning, and I combine it with what I learned about myself, my own journey, uh, my own experiences. And I have a very unique methodology um, that I've learned and that I've then developed um, to help people overcome these extremely deep-seated very debilitating um, emotional impacts, that the total erosion of self that comes from abuse in childhood. Yeah, that's that's what I do. Well, and and you know, and you bring up an interesting point because it started with you in your childhood being bullying, and as you say, it really wasn't outside. It wasn't inside the home in this case. It yeah. was outside the home, and and that occurs at school. Sometimes it even occurs with teachers. You know, they just don't know what they are doing uh, to people and their psyche when that happens. But what's interesting is you talk about it. It, it kind of went from there in the childhood, continued on through your life to the point where you ended up getting into a relationship that in many ways duplicated and mimicked yes. the very thing that you experienced as a child, which ultimately made it worse. And thank goodness that realization hit you at the time that it did about your boys that actually caused that change to take place. Not everyone is that fortunate. And, no. and, and yet at the same time, you know, the, the question is, for those out there that are experiencing this type of situation, how on earth do they finally hit that point or do they get that point? Can they consciously do it to where they can finally say, enough is enough. I am not going to deal with this anymore. I need to make some changes and I need to move on to a better life. Yeah, so, and, and obviously people do because everyone who, who makes their way to me, um, a lot of people have previously had therapy. Maybe they've been in therapy for a long time um, dealing, and it might not be dealing with diagnosed complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it, could, it could be undiagnosed. Some people it is complex post-traumatic stress and they know it is because the abuse in their childhood was very bad. A lot of people are dealing with horrific combinations of sexual, physical and emotional abuse. Um, so they do know and some of them have previously had therapy. But some of them have, have got to where I was. They have realized if if they if they haven't realized then they're not going to be on the phone to me yeah. you know they they then so they have to have realized and what i would say to people i said this to someone else when you start to get the red flags is that if you are the person that is being made to feel guilty if you are constantly in the wrong or being made to feel that you are if you are people pleasing and constantly putting what's right for you aside. If you are being made to feel that you are unimportant, then you have a problem. That is not a loving, supportive, healthy relationship. And whatever you were told in your childhood about yourself, you matter. You are important. 
You are lovable. You are relevant. And I, this is what I want people to see. Because abuse in childhood takes away that sense of self, the sense of deserving better. People repeat patterns. They repeat the pattern that they were taught. And who they were told they are is who they take into their adult relationships until well, they do the work to change it. Yeah, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about the subconscious yeah. mind for a minute because this really goes into, here's a child that's experiencing some type of abuse. And, and you know, sometimes what, I, what I've come to understand is sometimes it's consciously being done to them, like what happened to you with the bullying and, and oh. all of that. Yes. Other times, I think sometimes parents don't even realize what they're no. doing. And I'm not sure that we want to call that abuse because abuse has such a negative terminology. But at the same time, you know, parents sometimes when they're not thinking or trying to be the best parents they can, sometimes will do things, say things in a way that the way that the child interprets it causes something to occur in their subconscious mind that creates that sense of I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I don't have worth. But let's talk about the subconscious mind. What happens? What happens within the subconscious mind that remains there through adulthood, uh, such as what happened with you, that, that causes this to happen? What, what is the yeah. reality of what goes on? I mean, what happened yeah, so, in your subconscious mind when you were being bullied? Yeah, so, so the fact is that um, our thoughts our thoughts, our beliefs, our perceptions of who we are. We are all a product of our environment. We are, a, we are all a product of what we learned before we were 10 years old. And the thing is that the child's mind um, is, children are very egocentric. Everything is about them, but everything is emotion too. So they take on board everything around them like a sponge. They just absorb absolutely everything. They're very malleable. And they're looking for that around in their environment to find answers to the questions like, who am I? How do I fit in in the world? What's my place in the world? Um, how, how do I get accepted? Who's going to love me? What does love look like? And these are all the unconscious questions that are being answered all the time um, to, by children, to, sorry, by the adults in a child's environment. And the mind just soaks up all of this information. And we know from neuroscience these days um, that the mind is the mind is elastic, and the, what the mind does it creates neural pathways. So every thought process is a neural pathway, and the more often a thought happens, the more embedded it becomes, the stronger. And thought processes in the mind they're like a riverbed they will take the course of least resistance. So your mind goes to the thought processes that are familiar, the ones that it knows and understands, whether they serve you or not. So by the time you are 10, a child in an abusive situation has had all of these questions answered in a negative way. And it has created all these thought processes that are then embedded. Interesting. And they stay there. Yeah, 
They, yeah, I, that's what gets carried forward. And that is why we end up with so many adults that are repeating unhealthy patterns. And, and as an adult, they can look at them and say, why am I doing this again? But it is not your logical conscious mind that is driving this. This is all being driven by the emotional subconscious and the patterns that were established and the thought processes that were embedded many years ago. And this, this is why. This is why we have so many adults in this well, situation. And it's interesting as you're talking about that, what came to my mind was the fact that so often we, we seek to find that situation where we're most comfortable. And, and from what you're suggesting, because of the neural pathways that, are, that have been established because of that from yes. early childhood, we will continue to repeat those experiences and situations and we will seek out and find those situations where our brain, those neural pathways are telling us we are most comfortable when in reality, it's actually just going back to the childhood abuse. Yes, it's like we are, as I say, you're, one of the, the, the mind is actually not as complicated as people think. It operates by a series of quite simple rules. And one of the rules of the mind is that it loves the familiar. It will seek out the familiar because it, it's very simple. Our DNA and our operating systems, they're very primal. They're very primitive. They haven't changed for a long time. And when we lived in caves and everything was dangerous, your mind wanted you to stay where you were because it knew that it was safe. If right. you're in the cave, if you're in this, if you're with other people, it, it, you're safe. So it, it, it developed um, this, this sense of enjoying the familiar and what we actually end up in the situation these days. Uh, where, of course, that doesn't apply. But it's almost like we're cavemen living in a modern environment and the mind still goes to the familiar, whether it serves you or not. Your mind's job is not to ensure that you thrive. Your mind's job is to ensure that you survive. And it thinks that you will survive by doing what's familiar. It's, well, it's very counterintuitive, but that yes. explains where that comes from. Well, and it's very interesting. And so you ended up in a relationship in a relationship with what you refer to as a narcissist. And, yes. you know, that word gets thrown around so much now. It's probably one of the most common words uh, that I hear, uh, interestingly enough, when we talk about relationships that aren't working and so on and so forth. So for the audience, define what you mean by narcissist, first of all. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, and it's, it's like everything. I mean, there are different levels. So narcissism is on a spectrum. Uh -huh. um, but of course, there, then there is um, narcissistic personality disorder, which is, can actually be diagnosed. And when someone, it, let's say there's a spectrum, I think there's about 10 key traits of narcissism, although there are hundreds of things that get input into that. Uh, once someone is meeting eight or nine of those, then they are very likely to get diagnosed um, as a true narcissist. But what I say, I'm, I'm not a person that likes labels because the behavior is the behavior. And, and yes. if you are dealing with this, so narcissism is all about self. So if you are, all of us are capable of being selfish, 
we all do things at, at times that are in our best interest and someone else has to suffer a little bit. We all do that. But the difference is that for most of us, we want to be in healthy, caring, loving relationships. We care very much about the people in our lives. We want to see them happy. Um, and we would almost rather forego things ourselves to see other people happy because that, that makes us happy too. Right. Um, so everything is balanced. It's tempered with the desire to see other people happy. Narcissists don't have that. They have a complete lack of empathy. Um, so aside from some very particular traits like making and breaking promises, outright telling lies, um, just going along with things with no intention of them ever being reality, um, just very manipulative. They do a lot of guilt tripping, making everything very critical. Everything's always your fault. They can never be wrong. You can't have an opinion. They'll just shoot you down. Um, so it's it's very it's very insidious and it's lots of behaviors that crush a person, totally crush you. It, it's designed to control in a very, very particular way. Um, and there's there's no balance to it um, because there is no empathy. They, they don't care. They, they cannot see the damage and the hurt that they are doing. Or if they can, they can't. They don't care. Well, and as you said, there's different levels uh, of of that type of, you know, what we refer to as narcissism, because yeah. I, I think you you even mentioned that even in your experience, your personal experience, it wasn't with someone who was at that highest level of narcissism. Yeah. And, and I have met a few people like that, and it's been, oh, my goodness, um, fortunately, not necessarily in relationships, but I've met some narcissistic people as I've been going around and doing things, and oh my, I can't even imagine being in a relationship like that. But at the yeah. same time, I've also seen that there are times that people are at different levels, and again, I hate the labels too, but, but you get into a situation where, you know what, I want you to... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. To be a part of my life, but 
they don't necessarily want to be a part of your life. And, and I think to some degree that, that starts to get into that reality of a lower level of narcissism. For you, what, what was your experience? What level of narcissism were you experiencing in your relationship, if you don't mind sharing? Because I think for a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, you, you made an interesting comment. I'm, I'm going to do, if I'm in a relationship with someone, I, I, want, to, I want them to be happy. And so there will be mm-hmm. times that I will do things for them to be happy. And sometimes I will sacrifice a bit here and there so that they will experience that happiness. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing, particularly if it's equally occurring on both sides. Oh, absolutely. Where, where yes. I think the challenge becomes uh, and the different levels. And I want the audience to understand maybe what, what kind of relationship, if they're in a relationship, um, at what level does it become really unhealthy, such as what you experienced? Uh, what was your experience there? Um, it was it was very unbalanced. It was very one-sided. Um, my my needs did not matter. It didn't matter what I said about how unhappy I was, about what I needed from my life, or how I needed things to change or to be, um, or the kind of support that I needed or what I was looking for. It, even my hopes and dreams and plans, if I expressed them. Um, they either weren't acknowledged at all um, or probably even worse, I was led to believe that they had been heard and that steps would be taken to make them become a reality and then um, that would all be taken away. And it's hard to say what's worse. Yeah, so sometimes they'll actually express a sense of Yes, I care, and and this is you know I know this is what you want, and let's help you to do it. When in reality, uh, that really isn't happening. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And and so for people who are, what are the signs? What are the symptoms? What's the symptomology of someone who is in a relationship, which ends up becoming, I think, to some degree. Um, a codependency type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. What are those signs that they could look at very carefully and go, wow, you know what, potentially, and we don't, again, want to label, but potentially, I may be in a relationship that's codependent. I may be experiencing that relationship of being with someone who is being at whatever level they are, narcissistic, which is being damaging to me. Yeah, so that that's where I st- it took me about four years. So it was four years ago that I was work. I started to work with a counselor, and what happened was, and people can relate to this. I was just so desperately unhappy. I realized that it didn't matter what I said. I was I was not heard, and the thing for me was um, it was about broken promises, not just about that but a whole string of them and uh, just my husband's ability to just say whatever seemed appropriate at the time and to have no concept of whether this was actually real or true or was going to be followed through with and that there were consequences to that. So it causes all this chaos, this confusion that you have no security, no sense of what's real because 
there was no reality. It was very, very difficult. Um, And the way people can relate to this is when you start to feel that your opinion is irrelevant. You are expressing yourself you, and you're sure that you're saying what you need. And, but also when you are feeling anxious, when you are feeling anxious because you're constantly worried about doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. Um, and, and you just realize that you yourself don't seem to matter in the environment that you're in and however that, that shows up. You know, um, and for me, as I say, it was just this overriding feeling of just being incredibly unhappy and being very lucky to find an amazing counsellor um, who spent hours with me, very, very patiently pulling out of me everything and helping me to digest that that maybe. I was in a relationship with a narcissist. And this, here's, I've just remembered the question I used to ask all the time. Why is this so hard? Why am I so unhappy? Why do I never get anything back? Why am I giving everything all the time? It was, it was just the why, 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 why of the constant giving and not getting anything back, not getting anywhere. No, I didn't mind doing the giving if I was getting something back. I didn't mind doing the giving if I was actually getting somewhere. But it was this realization that I was just being sucked dry in in every sense. Um, but it, it took it took about two years of actually on and off um, of working that through to finally realize, yeah, I'm definitely dealing with um, narcissism here. And that's why it's impossible. So, yeah. so here's an interesting question for you. You know, as, as we talk about that, and of course we're trying not to label, but we are. We're, we're talking about mm-hmm. an individual or individuals who tend to be selfish and think about themselves and not about others. Here's my question. How many of them are really even aware that they are showing forth those types of traits or are these things that they oftentimes, I'm sure there are some that are consciously just that, but are there a number of those people who fall into that that level, whatever level it happens to be of what we're referring to as narcissism, that may not even realize because of their own childhood trauma that that's what they are doing and that's how they are being. Yes, there's, it's very interesting because there is an element of that. Of course, they themselves are a product of their environment and something has caused them to be as they are. But here's the very, very interesting thing about narcissism. It's what I said earlier about emotional abuse. It's hidden. So, And people say, do narcissists know what they're doing? And my answer is yes, they do because they don't do it to other people. They, okay. it, it, it is very often only focused on the person that is closest to them. So it's hidden. And they don't do it in front of other people. They, they will be two different people. And what are the childhood experiences that they had that are resulting in that type of behavior as adults? 
Yeah, so the, it's, it's again, the, the research, I, I don't, this isn't just my ideas, I'm not making this stuff up. No, I people, understand that. People, people have the internet at their fingertips, they can look this up. Um, and it's, it's thought that the, the most common reason that people become narcissistic is when, as children, they have a lot of, a, lot of positive attention. And again, there's, there'll be a lot of parents that don't intend this. And I know for my husband, he came from parents that they would be horrified to think this this had happened um, because they did what they thought was right. Um, but it's when an upbringing very much focuses on not who you are as a person, where you are not praised for um, being wonderfully kind and generous and how you treat people, but when you are praised for for being excellent at something, when excellence, perfection, being seen by others to, to, to be um, exceptional, to, to be uh, kind of like almost revered by others um, is when you learn that that is what is important. And for my husband, what happened, he had a very religious upbringing, very Christ, generationally Christian upbringing. Um, and, and it was the church and God that was important. Um, and because he's a very talented, and he is a very talented musician, um, he had a lot of external and family attention for that. It was that that was important. And what he learned was that happiness wasn't important, but this, this image of um of being seen to be a certain way within the church was what was what mattered. And I understand where that came from. And his other two brothers, it didn't have the effect on them that it had on him. But for him, he carried that pattern forward. And then as in his adult life, what became his focus was work. It was important to over excel at work. To, to be seen to be the best, to, to just, and ev nothing else mattered. And he has these patterns where he puts aside people that he should care about to achieve, to overachieve, and to be seen to be in a, in a certain light. It's, it's very telling and it's very obvious now that we know. Well, yeah. interesting. And, and what comes to my mind, and I may be, you know, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. So for those children that literally have, for some reason, developed that I'm not good enough syndrome um, situation in their mind subconsciously, and if the only recognition they get, so for instance, you do, you, as a child, you do something that's just very kind and very generous, and you don't really get recognized by your parents about that. But all yes. of a sudden, you get straight A's in school. You do something amazing, and they recognize Absolutely. you for achievement. In some ways, that can do the very same thing, can it? Yes, absolutely, because children are desperate to please their parents. They are mm -hmm. desperate to be loved, desperate to make, to, to make connection because their survival, their, their acceptance, um, their very survival depends on it. Um, they, they know that. And what they learn then, oh, to be accepted, what I need to do is not who I need to be, what I need to do. And it becomes this, um, uh, it shows up as well. I, I mean, I, 
I deal with a lot of adults who've had narcissistic parents and it shows up as perfection um, yeah. and not just in women either. It, you have to look. It's all about looking the, the part, you know, um, and achieving perfection in the way that you look. Um, and it, it sets up this ideal that everything has to be perfect. You have to be perfect. Um, they have to be perfect. And it, it's, it's terrible behavior that it, um, it encourages because a person cannot be perfect. And it gives way to horrendous anxiety um, and disappointment. Disappointment. Well, and, yeah. And you bring up an interesting point. I, I love what you said about the, the difference between being or becoming a genuine person. So you're being recognized for the goodness that you're doing rather than mm -hmm. the, the doingness that you're doing that's achieving some yeah. type of outward recognition. I love that. Yeah. The one thing that we haven't talked about that I really want to talk about is the methodology that you developed. And, and uh -huh. what are you doing specifically and how are you helping people? And, and what, what methodology is it that as the audience is listening, if it rings true for them and they, they identify with that, then they can have a chance to give you a call and get some help. So what is your specific methodology that you created and developed over the years? Yeah, so this came about because my own journey, my personal development journey, and it never ends. That's the thing. Once you start, it never ends. You're just unpeeling layers. You can get to the point where you're really comfortable, you're really happy, but you know there's more. You know, there's always something to unwrap. So it Absolutely. gets exciting. <laughs> but um, to, to, to do the healing, to do the emotional healing work was a very long and painful journey of nearly 10 years. Um, so what happened, I was probably about eight by the time I was looking at it, um, when I started to work with other people, I just wanted them to have a faster way. I didn't want them to go through what I went through. And it was funny because it started off as business coaching because uh, I had a couple of businesses and people started to come to me to say, well, you know, um, if I want to do what you've done, how would I do it? if I want to expand right. my business, if I want to open another one. So that was very interesting. And what I realized that for most of these people, uh, yes, there were things they needed to know about business, but what was really holding them back was themselves. They, they all had something about themselves that was holding them back. Um, and I just, as I started to work with people, I just thought I, I want a faster way. I need a faster way for people. There has to be a faster way. Right. Um, so I started to research and I found a very particular form of um, hypnotherapy that I started to look at. Because um, at first, because when you're dealing with um, traditional approaches to mental health and you are told that it, it has to take a long time, you know, mm -hmm. you're looking at years, months of therapy that may or may not get somewhere because traditional talk therapy is to the conscious mind. Well, the hypnotherapy makes sense because the damage is done in the subconscious mind. So okay. we're, tr we're trying to heal what's in the subconscious by talking to the conscious. No, it doesn't work that way. It's the subconscious that feeds the conscious, not the other way around. What stays in the subconscious, what is in the subconscious stays in the subconscious until we change it. And that we know that neural pathways are elastic and we know that we can change them, but it's a very long, drawn-out process. 
And it's very difficult. It is difficult. People really have to get on board. And what I learned was that with hypnosis, that we're dealing with the subconscious. And because the subconscious is suggestible and malleable, we can very quickly and easily change those thoughts. We can change the neural pathways that were created at source. And it's not difficult and it doesn't take long. So the method that I use is hypnotherapy, but I apply a very specific set of tools and techniques that I have learnt um, very, very quickly undo the emotional damage that is causing complex post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, all manner of mental health issues. And it's, it's really quite incredible what can be achieved in a very short space of time. So let me ask you that question, this question, because I mean, you know, for those that are watching this video, and there are many that are going to be just listening to the podcast, but those that are watching the video right now, here are you, you're, you're there on one screen, I'm here on the other screen, we're looking at each other via our monitors and, and chatting, and it's wonderful. Hypnotherapy, you know, what comes to my mind immediately is I'm sitting in a chair across from someone and, you know, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing uh, to, to hypnotize me, which, by the way, I, I think I'm very difficult to hypnotize, but you might disagree with that. But, but how do you do that? Because you're over in Australia, right? Yeah. And yet so, you're working with people all over the world. I do. Yeah, so... so how does it work? Exactly. Yeah, so exactly as you just said, you know, we're sitting here, we're, we've got opposite screens, we're looking at each other. And you have to remember that um, hypnotherapy, um, or hypnosis is just deep relaxation. So we talk about meditating all the time. People talk about meditating and hypnosis just takes it a little bit further. So you uh -huh. just go deeper. So it's about relaxation. And, okay. and it's relaxation to the degree where you're in a slightly different state, slightly different state of mind. And it's there that we can access the subconscious. And it's really not difficult to do. Um, it's done with talking and breathing. Um, and for someone like you, you say, oh, I think I would be difficult to hypnotize. Well, you can stop yourself at the end of the day. It's a collaboration. And uh -huh. you, can, you can stop yourself, but everyone can be hypnotized. And don't forget, people who work with me, they're looking for this answer. I work with people who've been dealing with mental health professionals on and off for 60 years because of childhood abuse. You know, I'm working with someone at the moment in their 70s um, who's, who's been doing this on and off for 60 years. They're looking for an answer. Most people who come to me have been doing this for a long time and and they don't care what they have to do they're just like right if it works just do it just, do it yeah they, they well to change and, their lives and, and and i love i love the fact that you talk about you're getting to the root cause you're getting to the source because as yeah. you say so often people have gone through quote therapy for so many years in their lives. And I, and I loved how you put it. It's the first time I've really heard it clarified the way you clarified it, that it's a conscious mind speaking to a conscious mind. And that can go on forever and ever and ever and ever with nothing really accomplished. Whereas Absolutely. what you're suggesting is getting into the hypnotherapy where you hit into the subconscious mind, find the source of the issues, 
and deal with it. And we deal with it there and then. It's not that we stir up a load of stuff. Like sometimes in therapy, I'll have people ring me up and they've just left a therapy session with someone else and they're in such a state that they don't know what to do. Um, and they maybe they've been thinking about working with me and they'll ring me up and say, well, what shall I do? You know, which is bizarre to me. But um, so what we do, what we uncover in the session, we heal in the session. So okay. we do the work there and then. Yeah. So the, right. and that's how the subconscious mind works. And then, of course, it's a process um, ongoing from there to keep reinforcing the new beliefs and everything. But I always I liken it to upgrading the software on a computer. That's what we do. We're literally upgrading the thoughts, the beliefs, the perceptions that you are holding. They're unhidden and unseen. You don't know. You don't know. We don't know until we uncover. You might know what's happened to you, but and you might have an idea, a sense of how you feel. But people are always surprised at what we uncover, what is actually running their thought processes. Um, and we, yeah, we, we, we change it there and then. It's really not difficult. It doesn't take long. I've, I've worked with people who've been dealing with severe depression for 40 years who, who are just like, I really am. I don't see how this is going to work. I've done so much else. But hey, I can't carry on. This is where we lose hope. We despair. You know, I, I can't carry on. So let's give it a go. And they are astounded at, at, what, at what we do. Well, that, that is amazing. So for the folks that are listening today that want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Yeah, so probably the easiest way, because I've got lots of links, of course, that they won't remember, is right. to go to my website, which is just sallyg.com. So that's the name Sally with the letter G, sallyg.com. And they can um, look up there. I've got quite a lot on my website about my methodology, about myself. Um, and the best thing to do is to hop on. What I do, I never work with anyone until I've had a conversation with them. So I give up my time. I spend time on, the, on a call with people, getting to know them, to understand what they're trying to deal with, because I want them to feel comfortable with me as well. And then we can decide, can we work together? Do I think I can get you the result? Do you like me? Do you want to work with me? You know, do you think I'm your answer? And I spend time with people doing that before they can make a decision to work with me. And there are different ways of working with me. But for me, the result is everything. So I really want to know uh, my potential clients before I agree to, uh, to work with them. And they can look at my website and book that call and know that they can just have a, just talk like we're talking here, uh, just them and me, and really just understand. But the, web, the website has a lot of information. That's, that's the best place. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And and I know that Sally, real quick, because we, we've got to cut this, but real quickly, Sally, where's the name Sally from? So that's actually, uh, people either call me Sarah or Sally, it doesn't matter. So, but Sally is actually came from when I was younger and um, my name was Sarah, um, I didn't like it. I wanted to be Sally for some reason. And my dad <laughs> humored me. And he called me Sal. And to this day, my dad is still the only person who ever has and ever does call me Sal. So when I was looking for a company name, it had to be Sally G. 
And that's just in honor of my dad, really, and what he did for me. So, well, yeah. thank you so much for being on the show. You you have offered some incredible insights. And, oh, thank you. And, and I really appreciate that. And folks, thanks for listening to today. Give her a call. Give her a call. SallyG.com, right? That's it, yeah. All right, give her a call because I, I have a hunch that there's some real value here. So anyway, thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again soon. Meanwhile, have a very wonderful and safe week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.